Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications. Welcome to Special Edition. Thanks for joining us. I'm Paula Dagnan. Today, we're going to start off by meeting Tanya Verkaitis. She is the Executive Director of the Lackawanna County Medical Society. They have some exciting programs coming up that they hope you'll join them. Let me start off by having you just tell us, because a lot of people not might not even know that there is a Lackawanna County Medical Society. What do they do? Right. The Lackawanna County Medical Society has been around for quite some time. Um, basically, it is made up of member physicians, and what they do is provide education to physicians and other healthcare providers, as well as the community. And when you talk about that, is it just for the physicians or, you know, you talk about the community. So how does all this come together when people may only see their doctors when they go to, to the office if they have a problem? Right, exactly. So some of the things that we've done to support the community is we've offered a public health education series for the past couple of years where we're interviewing physicians, sometimes their patients as well and televising that on ECTV, and it's also housed on our YouTube channel. Um, We also do an annual medical legal conference, which is open to the public. Um, We've done some other small activities for the public with uh, screenings and such, but this year we're really changing things up with our public health education series, which we've retitled Mind Body Wellness, Um, with the goal of actually impacting the lives of people in the community and partnering with local organizations that are doing things that help to improve the health of people. Well, first of all, let's go back and talk about the fact that you're on YouTube. How do we find you? Um, You can just look up our YouTube channel. It's Lackawanna County Medical Society, and you'll see past episodes of um, these interviews with physicians and other people in the community. And then you also said on ECTV, is there a certain time? Um, Because, again, a lot of people might be able to look it up on their guide and find out. Right. So we used to air on Sunday evenings. We have not chosen what time we'll air this year because we used to do monthly programming. But this year, because we want folks to actually try these different programs, we're doing quarterly programming. So it gives us a month of activity with people in the community that will then air in that program. How exciting! Where do we get to meet the physicians, and what do you have coming up as far as topics? So this year, we're going to start off with a partnership with Steamtown Hot Yoga. We're kicking off February 19th. It will be a 30-day program 
that's designed to equip participants with a simple set of powerful tools that can help them create a path to healthier, happier lives. So besides an actual three times a week yoga training program, we're also offering them an online life design program. So this first group of people um, are going to be interviewed at the beginning of their program, and then we'll talk to them again at the end to see how it's impacted and changed their lives. And we've had about say 15 people applied thus far, but we're only awarding it to five. Oh, wow. Now that sounds like something people can really get into. If Now, you said you've already had 15 people apply for that. So mm-hmm. is you're just starting off? Are there going to be more things like this that will be coming in the, in the near future? Yes, definitely. So the next quarter, we're going to focus on running. Uh, we were thinking about the fact that the Steamtown Marathon happens in the fall, and we thought, okay, People start running, they're thinking about possibly participating, so how can we support these people? But the goal is to actually get people who are non-runners to participate as well. And that's our ideal demographic, sort of, right? Like, maybe there's people who ran in the past, but they no longer run. Or someone who's been thinking about it, but they're afraid. So how can we get these people out, encourage them, get them to be a part of something bigger, building that community, right, so you have a support network, Um, And then hopefully they'll change their lives and, you know, get a little healthier because of it. Now, does the Lackawanna County Medical Society have a place to meet? Or, as you mentioned, the fact that you're going to be doing the yoga at a a place that's already established doing yoga. Mm -hmm. So, for example, when you talk about the upcoming getting involved with the runners, will that be something at another location or is there a central location? Yes. So with each of these activities, we really want to tap into things that already exist in the community. First of all, why we create the waste, right? But secondly, there are so many people that already offer great programs. So for instance, we're also going to talk about diabetes later in the year, prevention and maintenance. There's great programs through the Y and other folks that are already out there, and a lot of them are free. So it's helping us let folks know what's out there, having our physicians give some background information that helps people out, but then also tapping into those resources that exist and hopefully giving them a little bit of visibility as well. So when someone sees that the Lackawanna County Medical Society is going to be involved, does that mean that there won't be a charge? There will be a charge? Because, again, you're bringing people out from the right. community. Can they just come and ask questions? This It's a, it's a veritable goldmine of information. Exactly. So there is no charge. And I failed to mention earlier that we did get a generous grant from the Northeast Pennsylvania Health Care foundation which helps to support these programs so the funding from that will actually pay for these students to attend yoga for 30 days as we move forward with our other programming um, in partnership with whatever organizations that we want to work with they'll help sponsor students as well so steam town hot yoga did cover half the cost of these five people that will attend for the next 30 days so that was very generous of them as well But a lot of programs are also free, and people just don't realize that. Well, that's one way to definitely introduce them. Plus, 
be able to maybe see some familiar faces if you're getting exactly. local physicians that, that are going to be involved as well. What about as far as the future is concerned? Now, there could be some of our listeners hearing this for the first time and saying, well... Mm-hmm. She's already mentioned yoga. She's mentioned running. She's mentioned diabetes. I'd really like to have a program on. And what do they do with that question? (laughs) They contact me. Um, So the best thing to do would be to email me. And I can be reached at info at Luzerne MedSAC. We do lots of things with the Luzerne Medical Society is too. So we're kind of, I wear two hats. Um, but you can also check our Facebook page. So if you look up Lackawanna County Medical Society on Facebook, you'll find our page. You'll see what events we have coming up, like our first Friday Sprint and Health Fair. Um, but there you can also message us. And I would guess that's probably the easiest way to go. Most people are on Facebook, right? Usually. And again, as far as the, um, that's an easy address to remember as far mm-hmm. as your uh, your email address. And you said you have other events coming up. Um, and again, we're talking about, I know the yoga has five people, but are you hopefully hoping to expand and maybe even invite more members uh, to attend maybe a lecture or a presentation of some type or another? Definitely. With this first one, we really wanted to start off small just to get a feel for it because it's the first time that we're doing this. Um, But as we move forward, I think there is the ability to have more folks, especially for something like rent that's outdoors, right? There's really no limit to that. Um, although we'll have to cap it somewhere. Um, the same with the diabetes programming. A lot of those, there are limits and they have particular start dates. But in terms of introducing people to the programming and just letting them know what's available, that could definitely be, you know, a lecture that happens one evening. And then we can invite the community at large, have different community resources come in and talk about their programs even though we may only highlight one during our series. Now, before I let you go, is there anything that I've missed or anything that you want to make sure that you get across to our audience? And once again, maybe just especially how to get in touch with you. Definitely. I would say the best place to look for us is Facebook. I always post our events and our happenings, plus any of the community partners that we work with would be sharing events there as well. So look there for us, for starters. And from there, you can find the link to our website and such. But if you wanted to send me an email, you can email me at info at luzernemedstock, that's short for medical society, dot org. Or you can call us at 570-344-3616. Thanks once again to Tanya Verkaitis, Executive Director of the Lackawanna County Medical Society, for joining us today on Special Edition. Now, don't go away. When we come back, in Harrisburg, they're talking about raising the minimum wage. We'll find out more when Special Edition returns. Welcome back to Special Edition. The budget in Harrisburg has started to be discussed. One of the big topics has been raising the minimum wage. Intercom's Nikki Stone caught up with Alex Harper of the Pennsylvania Chamber of Business and Industry to find out 
their opinion on the topic. Alex Halper, you're with the PA Chamber of Business. Hi, Alex. How are you today? I'm, I'm doing well, Nikki. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Now, you have done, there's been some research done by the PA Department of Business to see how, the, how raising minimum wage has actually uh, affected other states. Am I correct? Well, we have we have heard, as, as I'm sure many have, um, perspectives from from other states that have attempted this, and it, it, it's played out uh, sort of exactly as um, as as we hear it would, which is some people certainly do benefit, uh, other people are are harmed, uh, whether it means uh, hours are reduced or their job is eliminated altogether. If you're a you know a small business owner. Uh, and 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 you don't have the capacity to expand your labor costs uh, that significantly, then uh, then you're certainly harmed by it. So it's as always, it's a it's a mixed bag. I think one of the states that was mentioned, uh, Michigan, was it? Was it Michigan? Well, we've seen you know different uh, minimum wage debates occur uh, you know all over the country, and you know it's it's sort of unfortunate we get into this very standard uh, d- uh, political debate about the minimum wage, um, and and at the end of the day, again, some people benefit, some people are harmed, uh, but what. You know, we always hear about the need to do this because if you're, you know, for example, we hear about a, you know, a single, a single mom in Pennsylvania can't raise a family earning the minimum wage. And, you know, I think there is there is broad agreement that someone in that situation needs lawmakers working on policies to assist them and to help lift them up. What what you often don't hear is that when you look at who's earning the minimum wage in Pennsylvania, less than one percent are single moms. Over over ninety three percent, and this is according to to state data, ninety three percent of minimum wage earners don't have children. Uh, so you know, we think that lawmakers need to have a much more thoughtful strategic approach to how you target support to those individuals uh, without triggering some of the negative impacts on employment that we've seen, you know, both in Pennsylvania in the past, but also around the country. Right. And what kind of negative um, have you seen in the past, I guess, is one of the questions I want to ask. Like these small businesses just going belly up because they can't... yeah, well, you know, and I've I, you know I've cha- challenged uh, advocates for the, the 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 most recent proposal, not only you know increasing the you know the current minimum wage by by more than sixty percent uh, in just a few months, and then and then ultimately uh, you know more than double. Uh, but the proposal also, this is important. The proposal uh, does away with the tipped wage, and that's a that's a system where uh, everyone is is always guaranteed the minimum wage. But for restaurants, for example, uh, there they can utilize tips to ensure that uh, the min- the minimum wage is met. Uh, for for restaurants, um, 
if you do away with the tipped wage as is being proposed, uh, that's an over 235% increase to what are usually entry-level wages. And I would challenge advocates for this proposal. You know, go to the clo- you know, go to your neighborhood restaurant, go to your coffee shop, ask them if they're prepared to increase entry-level wages by 235% in just a few months. There is just a, a complete disconnect between some of these, you know, sort of feel-good policies that are proposed in Harrisburg uh, and, and sort of the realities on the ground for, for Pennsylvania employers. Well, I know a lot of people who choose to be in a server's position because with the tips, they actually end up making out way better per hour. I mean, there are some places that are, are slower, but I also know restaurant owners that know, they'd be serving people themselves. They've been try- they'd be trying to cook mm-hmm. and serve people themselves because they are not bringing in that kind of cash to pay out that kind of money for a server to sit there um, like that. You're correct. These are, you know, these are operations that, you know, on average operate on on very thin profit margins. And and again, the, and then if they the had to raise the their rates, the raise the the menu items, they're going to yeah. lose customers because who's going to be able to afford to eat at a restaurant that's paying a server fifteen dollars an hour? Right. We've heard we've we've heard in other states that have that have eliminated the the tipped wage option uh, of restaurants prohibiting tips. If you have to pay if you have to pay a server fifteen dollars an hour, to your point, you have to raise the cost of items on your menu so significantly just to make up the difference that you're going to lose customers already and and some of the most um, yeah, some of the so, some of the most aggressive pushback has come from the servers themselves who have have benefited better from a, a system where where they could earn tips uh, and under this it just does not it, it doesn't uh, the numbers don't crunch if you're the average restaurant owner in Pennsylvania I mean I know at some decent restaurants you can walk out and this is in Northeast PA with three hundred dollars a night. If you're doing a good job, sometimes more when just on tips, you know, yeah. if you break that down and you're making minimum wage now, even at $15 an hour and you only put in a five hour shift, somehow it doesn't work. The math doesn't right. compute for the server because I know people are going to say, but still they should be paid and people just don't seem to understand that. And I think restaurants, if that's the case, it's going to affect them more than any other business. I mean, I already know yeah. you could walk into Walmart right now and make $11 an hour. Yeah. And all you have you, to be a greeter. Yeah, I think if you look at, at many of the sort of national corporations, uh, their entry level wages have have gone up considerably over the years, um, and and an increase of this of this extent. I mean, you're talking about ultimately within a few years, uh, an over 500 percent increase in the entry level wages for what you would pay for a server. Uh, again, this might you know, this may not necessarily uh, put Starbucks out of business, but go to your local coffee shop and ask that the owner whether you know he or she is ready to uh, to to expand their labor costs that dramatically. And they're going to tell you, you know, only in Harrisburg uh, can that kind of be thought of as uh, as a, a, a as an actual feasible 
public policy that's going to that's going to help individuals. It was interesting. There's been a lot of talk with uh, freshman uh, congresswoman out of New York, uh, Ocasio Cortez, and she tweeted recently how she heard her a coffee shop where she had worked uh, was going out of business so she visited to you know say hi to her her former boss and fair you know say farewell well the boss was asked you know later by the media why he was closing down and he said two things he said you know rents are going up and he said new york's uh, minimum wage increase uh, basically made it impossible for him to, uh, to to accommodate those labor costs, and he had to shut down. So, you know, I think it's just a, one of those situations where uh, I'm not questioning the intentions of advocates behind this legislation and behind these proposals. I think they... They do want to help people, but but this disconnect between these proposals written on paper and and how it plays out in the real world, uh, that's where we hope we can bring some uh, some awareness to the impact on on employers. Okay, can you hold on a minute? We need to go to break, but we'll be back and get and and ha- have a couple more questions before you have to go. Sure. All right. Thanks, Alex. Hold on one minute. We're going to be back with traffic and weather together in a few. Nikki Stone sitting in for Frank Andrews on WILK News Radio. Your WILK News Radio. And we are talking about raising a minimum wage with Alex Halper. He's from the PA Chamber of Business. Now, I found on your website where it said if an increase in the state's minimum wage goes to 10.10 an hour. That could lead to the loss of 31,000 Pennsylvanian jobs. Where did they come up with that number? And do you know? Um, that, sorry? Yeah, we're, we're, that, yeah, so go ahead. Sorry, sorry about that, uh, Nikki. That, that figure um, uh, came from the state's independent fiscal office, which uh, at the time was analyzing the proposal, which, as you said, was $10.10 uh, and um, estimated, I think it was maybe around uh, uh, 33, but right in that range of uh, you know 33 or so thousand uh, jobs lost, you know, fewer jobs in the economy uh, as a result of that. Um, of increasing the minimum wage to that level. So, of course, if the number is now 12 and ultimately uh, 15, uh, that number would almost certainly be higher. A, a little bit higher. So there will be jobs yeah. lost, and we think because either businesses won't be able to employ as many people and they'll have to do cutbacks, or because um, they go belly up. Yeah, yeah, that's that that that's just the reality, and and I don't, and that uh, that doesn't account for you know if you're a small business, let's say you own a restaurant and you're thinking about uh, expanding to another location, all of a sudden this uh, this mandate is comes down, and uh, you have to recalculate the, uh, the numbers, and and it may not work. So that you know that there are there are broader impacts uh, than what can be. You know, specifically calculated by, you know, whether it's the independent fiscal office at the state level or the congressional budget office at the federal level, which did a similar analysis and found, uh, you know, about they expected 500,000 jobs nationally, up to a million jobs lost uh, at $10.10. Uh, so these are not uh, these are not figures from from my from the PA chamber. This is not the the business community, uh, you know, crying that that the sky is falling. These these are nonpartisan, independent, you know, economists who who predict these outcomes from this policy. 
Now, I'm still trying. I had a story sitting here talking about like lumberyards and places that have gone out of business in other states because of the the men. And it really was a big deal. It really wasn't good for their states overall. I mean, on the surface, it sounds good. Oh, it's $15 or $12 is what we're talking about initially, but still. Um, but it's not... It's not as good as it sounds up front. The, these things are, are are far more complicated than can ever be conveyed in sort of the the, the five second uh, five second soundbite that um, sort of advocates make it out to be. Again, I think there's there's broad consensus that you know for for, for low income you know Pennsylvanians uh, you know single parents raising children uh, of of course we need to have a strategy we need to have policies to uh, provide those individuals better opportunities and and to help and to help them uh, but but I think there has to be recognition while while minimum wage you know, this was a this was a New Deal era policy that was intended to help those uh, those you know primary breadwinners for families. Uh, but over the decades and over the years, as the the, the demographics have evolved and uh, the economy has changed. That's just not the case anymore. You're talking a much younger population uh, in these in these jobs. Generally, uh, you know, you're you're talking individuals without children. So let's figure out ways to actually actually target support to the individuals that that we all believe ought to be helped. Because I tell you, when those thirty three thousand jobs are reduced, there's a good chance it's going to be a lot of the same uh, people that uh, everyone says they want to help, and now all of a sudden uh, they're out of a job. Right. Exactly. I mean, and some people think that, you know, the vast majority of people working for minimum wage are working for these large corporations. And that's not true. The vast majority of people making minimum wage are working for smaller companies. That's right. It's, it is. It's it is smaller employers, and that's who, you know, that's who we're hearing from now, uh, who have very serious concerns about this proposal, and they can even you know, even begin to accommodate it. Now, I see. Even in New York State, where the minimum wage is eleven ten an hour, if you cross the border up um, from the Endless Mountains region of PA and you go across the border, they have signs up that they hire people to work at their fast food chains at fifteen dollars an hour, mm-hmm. and their minimum wage is. $11 and so they're not even paying and here they're not paying minimum wage either they're already paying above minimum wage so I don't know where we're going to get with this and most of these wages or even anything under 15 right now is hard to live on based on our no, rents yep. based on our and I'm thinking Northeast PA our cost of living is lower than it would be in Harrisburg or Philadelphia even, and it's mm-hmm. difficult here, but I don't think raising minimum wage is going to be the savior to right. solving this problem. We need better jobs brought in to our areas. I, I, I would agree with you. I, I think over the years and decades, you know, advocates on uh, supporting this have done a good job of creating this false choice of, you know, do you want to help uh, low-income families, and therefore you have to support you know dramatic increases to the minimum wage, and and I think it's just necessary to um, uh, 
to to call out that false choice and and uh, you know just make it clear that that there are other but options in the long there, there run are, when know. they ra- raise the rate the wage to fifteen dollars an hour PA gets more in their pocket to due to taxes coming out from the higher wage mm-hmm. and they're the only ones that are making out the government yeah. all right Alex I appreciate your time thank you Alex have a great well, day thank thank you take Thanks care for having me. Now, don't go away. There's still more special edition yet to come. Welcome back to Special Edition. It is February, and February, among other things, is Heart Month. And that just doesn't mean because it was Valentine's Day this week. Dawn Webster is a physician's assistant and assistant director of MedExpress in Pittsburgh, and she has some very good things for us to remember about keeping our heart healthy. Well, it is February, and Dawn, February is the month of heart, being Valentine's Day. But it's also yeah. the month of heart for taking care of heart healthy. How do we go about doing that? So there's multiple things you can do to make sure your heart stays healthy. Some of the biggest ones are exercise and a healthy diet. So when we talk about things such as exercise, I guess, you know, a lot of people will say it's winter time now, but as soon as the spring gets here, I'm going to go out and I'm going to start to run and jog and work in the yard. But is that necessarily a good thing? Well, if you've never done it before, you absolutely want to start slow. But it's actually important to stay active even in the winter. So even if it's just, you know, pulling up um, a video online or an old DVD, an exercise DVD, and just getting active in your living room, um, even that would help. When we're talking about heart as well, one of the things, of course, that a lot of people are doing at this time of the year in different parts of the country is shoveling snow, removing ice, and sometimes that can be a little bit scary. What are some of the warning signs that maybe your heart is trying to tell you something? Sure. So anytime that you experience chest pain or shortness of breath, that is a giant red flag that something may be going on. And it could be something as little as just being out of shape to something as serious as a heart attack. So the biggest warning signs, especially for men, are the chest pain, the shortness of breath. Now, women, on the other hand, they don't experience those same, you know, standard symptoms that everyone thinks about. When they're having an issue with their heart, sometimes they just have some nausea, some fatigue. They just don't feel right. They don't always have this stereotypical chest pain. I've heard that, and I've I've also heard that sometimes when um, women are experiencing a heart attack, again, not only the symptoms of something coming on, but even a heart attack, uh, you know, we hear about the, the pain in the arm and, and different things like that. So are there other things that women need to be concerned about? Sure. So women can have, and men also, can have symptoms like jaw pain or arm pain or even back pain. Any of those um, could be a sign of a heart attack. And then when it comes to things like stroke, 
It may be as simple as um, when they smile, you know, one side of their face just doesn't, you know, quite go up like it used to, or their speech kind of sounds a little funny. So, you know, there's many things to look for. What role does blood pressure play in taking care of your heart and keeping your heart healthy? Well, it depends. So people can have blood pressure issues untreated for years and years and years, and it does put some stress on their heart. But if it's just a very mild high blood pressure, a lot of times it doesn't cause as much damage as you would think. However, if it's very high, it can actually result in organ damage. So it can put stress on your kidneys, on your brain, on your heart. I mean, it can. if it's really high and it goes untreated for a long time, it actually can do a lot of damage. When we're talking about, um, again, blood pressure, because it all kind of goes together, and you mentioned right in the very beginning of our chat here about diet, are there things that we should be um, maybe treating more with respect as uh, when we're talking about putting food into our body than, uh, than some other things in order to keep our blood pressure at the right level as well as keeping our heart healthy? Sure. So blood pressure is more dependent on the sodium in your diet. So if you eat a lot of sodium, um, a lot of um, preserved foods, those have tons of salt in them, and that can absolutely increase your blood pressure. When you're looking at heart health, it's looking more at the healthy fats versus the non-healthy fats. So avocado, for example, has a lot of fat in it, but it's a good fat. It's actually good for you. Um, whereas the, um, you know, fat from butter and a lot of the things we cook with, that's not so good for you. That's, you know, the saturated fats. Those are the ones that are actually bad for you and they clog your arteries. And Dawn, to wrap up uh, just a little bit more about heart, what would you say then are the things that people, I know you mentioned in the beginning, the exercise, the diet, things like that. What would you say would be the things that people should really keep in mind when they're trying to keep their heart healthy? Sure. So one of the biggest things that we didn't really touch on yet is is following up with your doctor. Um, if you haven't had your cholesterol screened in a couple years, that's absolutely something you need to do. Even if you are healthy as can be and eat a wonderful diet, if you have bad genetics, you can have high cholesterol and high blood pressure. It doesn't matter how healthy you are. If those genetics are bad, you're going to have you know, you're going to have to go on medicine. So that's something you really need to to worry about if you haven't had it done yet. Is there an age that you should start really giving your heart more thought than just whether it's going to be uh, broken after Valentine's Day (laughs) is over? (laughs) Um, Actually, in childhood, you know, really, especially if something, if you have a high family history of heart disease, heart attacks, high blood pressure, strokes, those are things that even in your teens, they're going to start looking at. They're going to start screening you um, for, for those things. So um, there, there really is no too early of an age. Dawn Webster, physician's assistant and assistant director of MedExpress in Pittsburgh, with some very good advice there about keeping our heart healthy. 
Do you know someone who is a champion for children in the Commonwealth? Angela Little, President and CEO of Family Support Alliance, would like to have your nomination. You can do that by sending it to pa-fsa.org. Angela also has a brand new program to tell us about. She's joining us now on Special Edition. that time of year and uh, at Pennsylvania Family Support Alliance we really like to honor and acknowledge the work of folks throughout Pennsylvania who do small and large acts that help keep kids safe. So it's time we're in the midst of our Pennsylvania Blue Ribbon Champion for Safe Kids campaign and we're seeking nominations for members of the community who could be volunteers They could be professionals who work with kids. And then this is one that you should certainly like, Paula, a member of the media. Um, Someone who has kept kids and their safety foremost in the minds of others and who've gone above and beyond, really, for child protection. So what are you looking for exactly? Are you looking for um, a person? Are you looking for an organization, possibly? We're looking for individuals. Um, And then, of course, with the media, we're looking for a a company that has, you know, really kept child abuse prevention foremost uh, for their viewership. So with the individuals, we're searching for two volunteers, and two professionals who work in the field of child welfare or with children and families. So it could be someone who, you know, shows up as a CASA volunteer and works really hard on rough cases that look out for the kid's best interest. It could be a teacher who does things that are not required of their job but helps with kids and their activities after school. Or, you know, there's really a, a large variety. Last year we had a woman who was in her 80s. And she volunteered at a local parent support and education program, uh, facilitating that support group every week. Um, Imagine being in your mid-80s and doing that. Wow. So there's lots of good folks in Pennsylvania. There's lots of people who care about kids. And this is just our opportunity to come together with elected officials, members of the media, corporate, nonprofit partners, and give them recognition. And this is throughout the entire Commonwealth. Throughout the entire Commonwealth. And so we're asking folks to um, go online to pablueribbonchampions.org, and they'll see a nominate there. Um, To fill that out, it's really easy. It doesn't take much time. It doesn't cost anything. And that comes back into us. It can be emailed. It's very easy. And then we have a panel of judges, um, independent folks from our organization that will review all the nominations, and they'll select the award winners. And then that's unveiled at our big event, which is on April 3rd um, at 10.30 a.m. at the Capitol in the main rotunda. Oh, in Harrisburg. In so Harrisburg. you're going to bring everybody together. We bring everyone together, and it is truly an uplifting time. Uh, we have local school students who provide a good part of the program. Uh, we have uh, a special kind of tribute to the children who were killed due to child abuse um, 40 last year. So that's a pretty high number. Mm. Um, and so we have lots of folks who come together and to pause for a few minutes and remember those young lives that were lost. And then it's a time too, for us all to 
recommit ourselves to dedicate ourselves to doing better for Pennsylvania's children. Let's talk a little bit about that as well. Um, the uh, families in recovery, mm-hmm. what is that? Well, we, of course, know um, what we've had lately in Pennsylvania related to the opioid epidemic. There are very few of us who could say that in one way or another, uh, our family or friends haven't been touched by substance use disorder. So one of the things we see is the impact on children. Um, Very often they're in and out of homes of grandparents or other relatives, friends, family. Um, And really some of them become far too old in their souls before their chronological age. And so for those parents who work at treatment programs, who are in recovery, you know, it can be a hard thing for them while they're focusing on their recovery. Um, Without drugs or alcohol in their system, to really face the reality of what's happened in their family and how's it impacted their children. That's really a double. It's a double-edged sword. And one of the contributing factors, one of the highest contributing factors of relapse are stresses related to children and parenting. Because remember, oftentimes these are parents who are not as present physically or emotionally to their kids. And then when they're, you know, feeling better, and they're back to maybe more full-time parenting. We all know that without some of those special issues, parenting's really hard. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the things our organization's done is we've developed a cross-systems program. Um, It's called Families in Recovery, and it focuses on helping parents who are in recovery develop new parenting skills. How do you talk to your kids about your recovery? How do you um, introduce new techniques? Maybe some of these kids have never had um, real rules or boundaries in the family. They've kind of taken care of themselves or younger siblings. Um, Lots of chaos comes along with substance use disorder. I was going to say also because of the fact that a lot of times the uh, children are young when things mm-hmm. like this happen, mm-hmm. and then they're raised by others, especially grandparents, mm-hmm. especially who are older, mm-hmm. who have a different outlook on things than parents might have. Mm-hmm. So that, again, wow, that's mm-hmm. really... Yeah, it's a seven-week program. Wow. And um, we're very uh, fortunate and very appreciative to have um, support from the Pennsylvania Department of Human Services. Um, They have provided some funding to pilot this program statewide. And then because of great work of media and spreading the word, I'm happy to say we've had at least 10 different states outside Pennsylvania uh, where agencies and some of it have been universities or drug treatment courts contact us and say, this is exactly what we need in our state. How can we be a part of this? Yeah, it's exciting. So you're spearheading. We are spearheading really a national program, I think. That's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And you've obviously, it's been well received. It has been. There, there are researchers. Have you gone through already I, seven weeks? I have gone through a training of the trainers. Oh. And it is now um, being piloted in many of the um, family centers throughout Pennsylvania. So we're knee-deep in um, gathering feedback and data collection and all of those things that go along with this process. But the bottom line is 
we we really believe we're bringing something to the table here for the communities and the families in Pennsylvania. It's not going to be uh, the magic fix mm. of everything that happens in a family when there's an addiction issue and recovery process, because we all know that's long, and sometimes mm-hmm. it has lots of... Uh, you know, twists and turns. twists and terms along the way. Right. But we know that we're bringing something to the table that helps parents focus on their children in a new and different way. So if someone wanted to find out about that, mm-hmm. whether it was a person themselves or mm-hmm. whether there's an organization, mm-hmm. a church, uh, mm-hmm. you know, anybody, how would they do that? You know, we're kind of old school at PFSA. We <laughs> like to talk to people on the phone. Ooh. So we have a website with all kinds of great information, and I'm sure we'll pass that along to your listeners. But what we'd most prefer is that people call us to talk about families in recovery. And we can be reached at 1-800-448-4906. And if someone calls between the hours of 7.30 a.m. and 4.30 p.m., I guarantee someone will answer the phone and we'll be happy to talk with them about the program. Is there a cost for the program? There, There is cost. Um, there is. Um, I would say it's pretty nominal compared to other programs. So we're happy to work with folks and kind of walk through what their needs are in terms of whether that's an agency administrator or whether that's a parent um, or someone in a parenting role who would like to, you know, attend one of the programs. Where would they be held? For example, here in Northeast Pennsylvania, would would they be able to be here or would they have to travel someplace else in order to do that? Well, what we hope to have are agencies throughout the communities that are actually providing it as a service. So just like, you know, many of the agencies that serve families and children, Um, We have in Scranton uh, the former EOTC Outreach for Community Resources. Those folks are going to be hosting uh, Families in Recovery. And as word spreads, you know, we have more and more agencies joining saying, hey, how do we get involved? How do we make that available for families in our communities? And it's, it's just an amazing thing when you think about it because, again, you have the whole Commonwealth that you're working with. Yeah. And there is just it's not like it's just one community. Correct. This is everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's a big state. And this is uh, one issue that is having a negative impact on our families. And as a result of that, it's impacting the safety and well-being of our children. Mm-hmm. That's I, kudos. That's a big project to thank take you. on. But well, you're a we're excited. You're an awesome woman. You well, and your team. Thank are, you. Are I have really we have an awesome team, and we have um, people throughout Pennsylvania who are strategic partners of ours. And you know, it's great just to see good folks, good agencies, good community leaders all working together to do the right thing for kids. And that's what the whole thing's about. Now, before we uh, before we let you go, we, we the last time we had you back. We had you in April. Yes. So are we already looking into the the next part of the year as to uh, what you're going to be involved with? I believe so. You know, I think um, for us, we really want to expand the Families in Recovery. We want to launch and, and have dates set for a train-the-trainer model on that, which helps agencies actually, you know, offer the service. Uh, we want to keep doing a lot of good work with grandparents who are raising their grandkids and we're excited to start a few new programs, support and education programs in targeted counties in Pennsylvania. 
Uh, we're happy to work with the members of the General Assembly. We had meetings last week looking at legislation and looking at where there are barriers for grandparents who are trying to raise their grandchildren. So I think that there will not be many days where we're not incredibly busy, and we're happy for that. But April... April, very, very busy. Child Mm -hmm. Abuse Prevention Month. We will crisscross the state numerous times. Of course, the big event, April 3rd at the Capitol in Harrisburg, Main Rotunda, 1030 a.m. And then we're also going to follow that up with uh, another event in Pittsburgh. So we're trying to spread the blue throughout the Commonwealth. I like that. Spread the blue. Yeah, we're spreading the blue. Um, yeah, different kind of Penn State blue. How's that? <laughs> different kind. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we're going to be out in uh, Pittsburgh on April 10th for another award ceremony there, um, bringing key community leaders together, recognizing that it's not acceptable in this state to have 40 children killed because of abuse and neglect. It's not acceptable to have over 4,400 children mm. um, be deemed abused in Pennsylvania. It's not Big okay. Number. It's a large number, large number. We've got to do better because they deserve that. Well, they have a good team on their side. Thank you. So now you're going to give our, our, our listeners an opportunity to find the website. Yep. Come visit our website. Um, it's pa-fsa.org. And remember, if you can't find what you're looking for there, there's a lot of information Folks should never hesitate to give us a call at 800-448-4906. Thanks again to Angela Little, the President and CEO of Family Support Alliance, for joining us today. And don't forget, their website is pa-fsa.org. And thanks to you for joining us as well, here on Special Edition. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. A production of Intercom Communications. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 